Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. It is so exciting to be here with all of you. Uh, We are going to be continuing on our journey through the Bible, and we are moving into the word into the chapters and book of Ezra and the chapters and book of Nehemiah. And so if I can have behind me some of our quick facts of Ezra and Nehemiah. So these two books are actually one book, very similar to how First and Second Chronicles were and how First and Second Kings were. It's written in one scroll right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about scrolls later on, but it's divided in our Bible into the book of Ezra, which is 10 chapters, and then the book of Nehemiah, which is 13. And it covers um, a, a, a very, you know, particular period in history. So the date that it was written exactly, um, you know, there's some estimates out there, but between 457 and 420 BC, And it covers the time of 435 or 439 and 433 B.C. It was also notable to um, point out that the book, similarly to 1st and 2nd Chronicles, was written by Ezra primarily. And then we have a little bit of Nehemiah that's blended in at the end. And Ezra was a scribe. He is probably known as one of the best and oldest and most elevated scribes of the Old Testament. And so I'm going to ask us to move to the next slide because we've covered a lot of history in our time between January and now. And I just kind of want to do a little review, a little background building for all of our teachers out there um, to talk about what has happened, right? So we start with Israel. Israel was in Egypt. They were there for about 400 years We had Moses that took us through the desert, correct? Then we had Joshua that brought us into the promised land. And then we begin a time period of judges and kings in a united kingdom, right? So the people at that time, they wanted a king. God said, I don't think you need a king. And the people said, I want a king. And so they had the first king, which was? Saul, yes, 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 Saul. And then from Saul, we had the appointed or the anointed king by Samuel, which was? Yes, 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 David. And David had a son who became king, which was? Yes, Solomon. So Solomon was charged to build the temple, and it was a beautiful temple, right? And he did some amazing things. He was very, very wise. And, um, He also did some not-so-good things, right? So we found out that he has 1,000 wives, right, 700 of them, and then 30 concubines. And we learned that he began to have a divided what? Heart, correct. So we had a divided heart, and that led to a divided kingdom. So the kingdom split, right? I've got two crowns going on over here. So the kingdom split. We had Israel that was 10 tribes 
up in the north. The capital was Samaria. We had Judah on the bottom with um, two tribes, right? And so we had Judah and Benjamin. And when we read about the northern kingdom, we also read about the prophets that spoke to that kingdom, right? So in the north, we had Amos, we had Joel, we had Hosea, and they were telling the people, turn back, turn back. I mean, they did some crazy things um, in that time. You know, we learned about how they put, you know, two golden calves up in the temples. They worshiped Baal, all of these things. And did they listen? No. In fact, we had 20 kings in Israel, and all of them were not so good, no bueno type kings, right? So what happened is the Assyrians came and took the people away. They literally conquered and captured Israel, and they went away. Judah, hang on, you know, they hung on tight. They had a couple good kings. Who remembers how many good kings we had in Judah? Not two. Eight. There were eight. There were eight good kings that were in Judah. And they also had some amazing prophets. When we read the book of Isaiah, he's speaking to the people of Judah. When we read the book of Jeremiah, he's speaking to Judah. When we read about Habakkuk and actually Micah and Zephaniah was the last voice before something bad really happens. They were speaking to the people of Judah. However, we had some bad news. There were some prophecies, and and Judah did not turn back to God. In fact, I want to highlight a prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 25. I believe I'm going to have it behind me here. This is what the Lord said to Jeremiah. Again, he's standing there in Judah. The temple, glorious temple of Solomon is before you, and he's receiving this word of the Lord for the people. It's not going to be good news. Just hang in there. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the people of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and the sounds of gladness, the voices of brides and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the lights of lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So this is what Jeremiah is saying to the people of Judah. He begins to go on and he talks about the cup of wrath that begins to fill in God's hands. And it is going to be poured on those nations. And so what happens? Exactly what he says. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He comes in three times. And three times he takes the people into captivity, into Babylon. He comes in. He burns the city. The walls of the city are completely destroyed. There's rubble everywhere. He comes in and there's uh, Zedekiah um, was there. He gouges out their eyes. I mean, there are just terrible things that happen all over Jerusalem. 
they literally pillage the temple. They take all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the jewels. They put it not in their pockets. I don't know on the donkeys or the camels. And they take it with them to Babylon. And the people are there for 70 years. Three exiles. Three exiles. I have one more little, not yet. We can go back to the the timeline. I've got one more little crown there that we're going to come back to. But Persia comes, and I'm going to speak to this a little bit later, but Persia takes over the entire territory. And at that time, there's a king, and he lets the people return. But let's go back a little bit. Let's go up, up to the next side. So we talked about there being three exiles out of Jerusalem, right? So the first one, Daniel was taken in 605. And again, when we read Daniel, we get there and we hear, you know, what's happened to him and the lion's sin, et cetera. He's in captivity. It's very important to understand where the prophets are actually speaking from. When we go to the second exile, Ezekiel goes with them. We actually sang a song here today about dry bones. He speaks to people, he speaks to them, and he sees a vision of bones coming up and an army coming up while they're in exile. That's happening in exile too. And then lastly, after the whole city is burned, we have the third um, exile. And then we have the return. So we have three returns back, three there, three back, right? The first one, and I want you to say this with me because this is kind of like a fancy name. The first first return that comes back is with someone that is called Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. I had to make him Spanish. Zerubbabel. You know, it just sounds so nice, you know? And he is a part of the line of David, and he comes back. And we call him a prince. The second exile, I'm sorry, the second return that comes back is under a man that we're going to talk about, Ezra. And he is a scribe and he is a teacher. The first exile comes back with 50,000 people. The second exile comes back with 2,000. Little, 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 little less. And last, the third people that, not exile, the third return that comes back is under Nehemiah. So there are three main characters and they've got three missions. Zerubbabel, his mission, sorry, I have, you know, it's just so nice. Zerubbabel, his mission is to build the temple. We're going to talk about that. Ezra's mission is to build the word of God in God's people. And Nehemiah's mission is to build the wall. They each have a call. They each have a mission. They're each sent by a king, a different king, and they each have opposition. So, We are now caught up. The timeline is set. We can move in. And let's talk about how these people, or rather why these people came back. So let's go to the next slide. Because I want to talk about my friend over here, King Cyrus. So Eddie did a wonderful job last week talking about uh, uh, First and Second Chronicles. And exactly how First and Second Chronicles ends is how Ezra chapter 1 begins, almost the exact phrase. And so it says in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, in the first years of King Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord moved on the heart 
of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. So again, this key verse, before we move any further, I feel like we need like, you know, like Google and you could do like a little hyperlink and like click here, get more information, click here, get more information. We got to know a couple of things, right? So in the first year of King Cyrus, in order to fill the word of the prophet Jeremiah, what did Jeremiah say? What did he say? Well, we learned that he prophesied regarding the captivity that was going to happen, but he also said a lot of other things. So let's go to like our first little hyperlink here in this. First hyperlink, we're going to take you to Jeremiah chapter 29. You may know one of these verses, but maybe not the first. Let's go to chapter 29, verses 10 through 11. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Remember, he's prophesying that they're going to go to Babylon. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be good. It's 900 miles away. There's a whole, you know, situation. But he's got plans for this people. And he prophesied that in 70 years, they're coming back. And they did. So let's go to the second hyperlink. We need to know about who Cyrus the king is, right? So back to Ezra chapter 1. Let's talk a little bit about Cyrus. So if any of you go back into your history books um, in high school social studies, Cyrus is a real person. He is a real king. He is a real conqueror. He had the largest Persian empire. He's like Alexander the Great. I mean, he's like really, really up there. And Cyrus also... Um, ha- understands the, the context of what happened. And so what's really very interesting about Cyrus is, remember I said prophets, you know, kind of speak to different people? Isaiah, 153 years prior to this guy even being born, he prophesies. And he says in Isaiah 44, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, not built, rebuilt. And the temple, let its foundations be laid. So 153 years before this guy even exists, Isaiah is saying there's going to be a guy, Cyrus, and he's going to say, come on back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Not build the temple, right? rebuild it. So it means it has to go down, right? So Cyrus then begins to make a proclamation, and he does this. He wants to have the people that have been in captivity go back. And this is what he says in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him In Jerusalem and Judah. And of his people among you, you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of God, temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And so he says, It's okay. You've been in captivity. Go, go back. And God's prophecy once again 
is fulfilled. It's amazing. When I, when I see this, it's like you cannot doubt God when you see these things happen in history, right? The Bible is predicting things in history. So they've been there 70 years. Many of them, guys, I have to tell you, got very comfortable when they were in Babylon. And only 50,000 people kind of go back in the first wave. And who led them? Zerubbabel. Yes, him. So we're back to now Zerubbabel. Now, he was born in captivity. And he was given the permission by King Cyrus to go back. And his mission, just like what Cyrus says, is to rebuild the temple. So he comes back. He settles in for about seven months, looks around, and immediately begins to build an altar for God. Because when there is an altar, there could be sacrifice and there could be worship. He brings with him a bunch of skilled laborers, right? And they begin to lay the foundation of the temple to be built. There is some celebration. There is some weeping, right? Because the people that were here before are looking at this foundation and saying, hmm, it's not as big as the old one. It's not going to be as good as the old one. And they literally weep. And the new generation is like, hey, this is fabulous. We have a temple foundation. We're going to worship God. And the Bible tells us that there was no discernment between the weeping on one and the, and the laughing and the joy at the other. There was, there was this this mystery, this mix of sound. So something happens. You've got the peepers that come in. You know, oh, someone's always peeping out the window, looking to see what's going on. And we've got some people that said, what these people are doing here, building the temple, these Jews, these Israelites, they're no good. They're rebellious people. We can't have them building the temple. So they begin to write. They write to King Darius. King Darius says, no more temple, no more building. And so you think that the people would be like, no, this is our temple. You know what they do? They put down their hammers and all whatever they use to build temples. I don't know what they do. I'm not a carpenter. I don't know these things. They put their tools down and they stop. Not for a month not for two weeks. They stop for 16 years. They just stop. And they go back to their houses and they focus in on their interior designs of their homes and they stop. Question, what have you stopped building? What have you stopped building? And so again, in come the prophets. The prophets are big guys. They come in. We have Haggai and we have Zechariah. And they speak to Zerubbabel. And you know what Zechariah says to him? I think it's going to come up to me. He says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he commands him to build to work. We sing that all the time. That was spoken to Zerubbabel in a time of just sadness and, and unknown. And he's like, no, you, this is what you were called to do. Build the temple. 
And they did. Little, they wrote another letter. King Darius gets the letter. He's like, okay, you know, in the letter it says, go back to Cyrus's, you know, uh, edicts. Go take a look. They've got permission. I got permission. I can do this. And they went back. They looked. Yes, they have permission. Darius says, you can build. And they did. So temple is built, phase one. Return one. And then there's a period of 70 years before the next return. Pause, interjection. So there's a book that's coming up in the next chapter. It's called Esther. It's written in this time period. Okay, back over here. So second return, (laughs) Ezra. So Ezra comes back now for the second time. Second return. And Ezra, his name means the Lord helps me. Ezra, just like Zerubbabel, was born in captivity, never has seen Jerusalem. But he is a studier of the law. He literally would copy the text of Scripture, and he would copy it scroll to scroll. And what we don't understand about this is this is very, very exacting. Literally, every single letter had to be written perfectly from right to left or left to right and down. The letters or the lines are counted from the bottom all the way up. And if one letter, one letter, one letter on this little thing, it should be coming up. One letter is off. The whole thing is ripped up and you got to do it over. So I can't imagine how many times. So so think about it. The book of Leviticus, ladies and gentlemen, he's doing this on the book of Leviticus. All those numbers, there's little breath marks, you know, that, that happen in Hebrew. All of those things have to be perfect for it to be an acceptable scroll, right, to be then um, read. And so he knew this Bible better than anybody else. He had to write that thing, you know, think about when you're in school and you had to write your spelling words, write it over 10 times each, and then by the end of the week you would know them. No. This guy knew the Torah. He wrote Isaiah over several times. He knew those scriptures. And King Artaxerxes lets him go back. And with him, in the second return, he, his mission is to share this word with the people there back in Jerusalem. And so in Ezra, chapter 7, verse 6, it should be behind me, it speaks a little bit about him. It says, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything that he had asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. And I'm going to read our key verse in this series next, which speaks about Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for Ezra, there should be a slide, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching his decrees and laws of Israel, right? So remember how I said each of, the, each of the returns had a king? Each of the returns also had some opposition? Well, when Ezra came back with his uh, 2,000 folks, he came back into Jerusalem, and there were some problems, right? 
So there were some problems with the Israelites marrying other people from the different lands, right? And they were not doing exactly what the Torah or the law was asking. So he came there to really just establish that, that spiritual renewal for the people. And he did that by reading the Bible to them. That was the mission of that second return. What's interesting is a contemporary to him is Nehemiah. So while he's doing this in Jerusalem, you've got Nehemiah that's over in Babylon. He's hearing a little bit about this. And so Nehemiah's our third return. And Nehemiah is in Susa, which is the winter, I'm sorry, the summer palace. It's very, very hot in Babylon. It's, it's modern day Iran, very, very hot. So he's in Susa. He's a cup bearer. Now, that doesn't sound probably like a very um, uh, fancy job, but it's actually a very dangerous job. It's a very political job. It's a very important job. And so he is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes that sent Ezra, right? He's the cupbearer. And so what he has to do, he's got to taste the wine. He's a wine connoisseur, right? He tastes the wine, and if all goes well, there's no poison in the wine, there's no toxins in the wine, he then gives the wine to the king to be able to drink. That's his job. Ladies and gentlemen, cupbearers did not last very long. It was a very, very, very um, noble job, very important job. So Nehemiah is in the temple of, of, in Susa. And let's bring, let's bring up uh, the scripture. Actually, read it here. And we're going to go through it. And what happened to Nehemiah? So Nehemiah's prayer, chapter 1, it starts like this. The word of Nehemiah, son of Ahakaleah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. This is all very important. We'll get to it in a minute. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanini, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province they're really in great trouble and disgrace. You see, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heavens. Now, remember, Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. He's in Susa. He's never been there. But he knows that if a city doesn't have a wall, the city does not have any protection. And it's been a long time. I mean, it's been well over 70 years, right? We had Zerubbabel go. We had Ezra go. And those city gates are still burnt. They are still burned. There is rubble. I mean, it's like, it's like when the Twin Towers fell down and, and, and we have rubble there for hundreds of years and nobody does anything to fix it. That's what it was. And he was moved. He, 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 he wept before the Lord. So let's move to chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so this is now four months later. 
He was moved by the news that he got from Hanini. He's been praying. Four months later, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not even ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. Okay, stop right there. Why is being sad in the presence of a king a really bad thing? He's literally afraid. He thinks he's going to die. So back to Persian, uh, you know, uh, king stuff. So if you were the cupbearer or basically anybody in the king's court, you were not allowed to be sad, right? The king needed to be happy. He needed to be very inspired to make all of the decisions. The individuals that worked for him needed to be like Stepford Wives. Good morning, King of Xerxes. If you were sad, you would be killed because that spirit of, of joy would be gone from the courts. It's like working in a restaurant, right? And you have a server coming to you and said, sit down. You you just, you don't, you don't get that nice friendly feeling, right? You just, you know, working for the king, it's like, you got to be on, right? And he was sad. He's been thinking about these walls for four months. And so what happens? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed. He like threw up a quick one up there and answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. So I'm going to stop here for a minute because this is leadership lesson number 101. I know this is not in the teaching, but for any of you that are leaders out there or workers, Nehemiah did a good job. Nehemiah was a good worker. Nehemiah came to work every day on time, and he found favor with the king. The king let him go back because he was a good worker, and he was also moved by God. But leadership lesson here, number one, work well. Have a good reputation in the workplace because the fruits of that is an example that Nehemiah has shared with us. But let's go back to the story, right? Do these little, like, ah, ah, you know, come over here, la, 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 right? So let's go back to what actually happens. I got to keep you awake because, you know, there's a lot of history. There's a lot. I got three movements, three exiles. I got a lot of things to cover here. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he goes quietly. And Nehemiah walks the walls in silence. He observes, he's pondering, God, this is a big job. You know, if you ever go to Jerusalem and you see those walls, I mean, it's not like laying a little brick, 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 brick. Mm-mm. These are boulders that are outside the city. There is rubble everywhere. And I believe that God gives him a strategy on how to do this big work. And so with everything There's opposition, right? I talked about it in the first return, the second return. We've got opposition. We got Tobias and Sam Ballard. These just sound like villains, right? They come in and they're just, you know, sending some really not so good messages 
and kind of saying, you know, when he starts, you know, trying to organize this work, you know, you're never going to do this. And so what he does is he literally, now we're in chapter three here, he begins to position leaders. And I'm going to say, this was a, an aha for me when reading it again, families, leaders, and families on the wall. In fact, there were 38 leaders and 42 families that were mentioned in chapter 3. And when we talk about chapter 3, what is so amazing is when God repeats things, it's like, pay attention, hello. He states 16 times when he's talking about the families, this family was next to this family on the wall. And this family was next to this family. And this family was next to this. He like plotted the whole thing. Can I have the image up here behind me? He planted the whole thing and he put family next to family and leader next to leader to build the wall. And they had some major, major opposition. Take a look at this. This is the wall and the different gates. Think about your family standing there at the gates building together, working this wall. It's like I almost visualize different jerseys on people there. You know, you got the, like, the Perez's, the Boyd's, the Santiago's, the Chucky's, the Schwartz's, you know, the, 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 all of the amazing families side by side, side by side, side by side. And they're building and building. And guys, this is not easy work. I mean, think about putting boulders and building walls, you know, and on top of that, We've got these people that are stirring trouble in the land. We've got the Sambalots and the Tobiases. You know what they say to these people? They say that, why are those feeble Jews, what are they doing? I don't have the scripture, but listen with me. He says, will they restore their wall? Will they bring and offer sacrifices? Will they finish this in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life? from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on this wall would break down one of their walls of stone. And so Nehemiah's like, nope, not going to happen. Family again after family. No, this time you're going to be with your right hand. You're going to be building. And with your left hand, you're going to have a sword and you're going to fight. Because these people were coming at them with armies. And they were fighting them down. I mean, I, I watch the news, right? And I think, I mean, there's nothing, you know, uh, like that here. But, you know, think about the war and that type of strife, right? And having to build and fight at the same time. I mean, I can't really, like, dribble, you know, with both hands at the same time. I couldn't even imagine what the, the, the anxiety and what they were dealing with building this wall and fighting at the same time. But you know what's so amazing about this story? Because they did it. They built this wall that's huge, by the way. Again, this is not like a little, like, you know, two-footer here. This thing is, is massive. Do you know how long it took to build this wall? Any of my Bible scholars? Come on, Pastor Debbie. Oh, is it up there? Ah! <laughs> she's got the cliff note version of the slides. I love it. I love it. She's a, she's a, good, she's a good reader. Fifty-two days. It's amazing what can happen when the people of God are aligned 
next to each other, right? Working, not on Netflix, working, right? Together to build something for God. I get blown away every time I read the story, guys. Every time I read it, it is amazing to me that something of that magnitude was done in 52 days. And so what happens is some people stop in Nehemiah chapter 7 and they don't keep reading. Right? And so I'm going to go to the book divisions because it's important what comes after this moment. Right? So we have Zerubbabel's return in chapters 1 through 6 in Ezra. We have the return of Ezra in chapter 7 through 10. We have the building of the wall, which I worked through here in chapters 1 through 7 of Nehemiah. But what happens next? In 8 to 12, there is a spiritual revival in Jerusalem. And Ezra and Nehemiah team up. And Ezra's up there. He's literally preaching. He's expository preaching is what what they say, where he's reading God's word and teaching it, reading it and teaching it, reading and teaching it. Nehemiah's there right by his side. And the people, the people are weeping. The people are coming out for hours of worship. This lasts days. There's a dedication ceremony for the wall of Jerusalem. The people literally are on fire. And how did this happen? By reading God's word and worshiping. It's incredible. I'm going to just highlight one verse. In Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, They stood there where they were and they read from the book of the law. Wait, the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. And they spent another quarter of the day in confession, and in worship to their Lord. I mean, we just do three songs here, guys, you know, four songs maybe. You know, think about a quarter of a day in worship and confession and repentance and reading the word. I mean, for them to, to know the word again, uh, it had to be in here. You know, uh, it, 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 they, need, they, they knew the word. And so then what happens in chapter 13, it's like kind of like a, you know, a little mixed message there, because even though they had this amazing revival, it's like some of them didn't get it. And the book kind of ends in like this eh, stage where, you know, they're doing things, they're selling things at the temple, things that Jesus had to deal with and kind of clean up, you know, uh, when he was here. They're doing some things that they really shouldn't have done. But what's so powerful is the description of that revival. I mean, there were choirs everywhere. You know, I could see like little pianos going. Well, they didn't have pianos like that. Um, You know, it was just amazing what the Spirit of God did when they came home, when the temple was rebuilt, the Word of God was established, and the wall was built. So I'm going to go into a couple of spiritual lessons from this book. We're going to keep it very simple, right? Because there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of moving pieces here. But the lessons to me are spiritual, but deep. So let's put up the themes and the things we've learned in Ezra and Nehemiah. Next slide. So the first spiritual lesson and theme 
is return. So all three groups returned back. Remember how I said also that each individual character that led that movement back also had a mission? That mission was to restore the temple, to restore the word of God and worship in our lives, in, the, in their lives. It's coming to you soon. It's coming. And the wall. Spiritual lesson number one. Again, we're going to keep it simple. Return home. So many of us have had a really challenging couple of years. We've had maybe our own exile, our own Babylon. We were in our own homes for, you know, I don't know how many months. And what's interesting is similarly to that first return, remember how I said that there was one to two million Jews that, in Babylon? Only 50,000 of them actually came back home, right? They got comfortable living in the exile. They got busy with everyday life. They got busy with doing things, and they didn't come back home. They didn't come back to the place where God's temple would be built and his wall would be restored and the word of God. I mean, Jerusalem is the center, and, and, and we can keep going. There's a lot of things to talk about. Is the center. They missed the mark. And so I'm going to ask and think and reflect. Some of you are back here today, and maybe this is your first time, and I thank you so much for coming. Some of you might be on live stream and haven't been back home here for a very long time. I can tell you that every Sunday we pray for the seats in this auditorium for them to be filled. And I believe that there are so many people that need to come home. They have been in exile. They have been in comfort. And they need to come home. God is here. And when your comfort becomes a hindrance or a roadblock to God's will, then we have to do some reflection. Spiritual point number one. Let's go to lesson two that we learn from Ezra and Nehemiah. Restore your temple. Again, we've been working through the physical temples of the Old Testament. You know, we we talked about, you know, Moses wanting to get instructions for God because God wanted to live with his people, right? We built the temple of Solomon so that he can reside and be present with his people. That goes down. Zerubbabel builds the second temple, right? So that God's spirit can be their sacrifices, etc. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? In 70 AD, that temple goes down. And so in the New Testament, we've talked about this a couple of times. God says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's spirit resides here, not in the building, here. And we need to work to restore the temple of God. You see, similarly to Zerubbabel, when they stopped 
building the temple. Remember, the prophets came and they gave him word. Let me share with you with what Haggai said to the people of that time. And tell me that that doesn't speak to us today. Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 6. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways, he says. You see, you've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in your purse with holes. You see, the people of that time were not satisfied. They wanted more and more and more, and they think that all of these things would fill them up. Ladies and gentlemen, you can look wonderful on the outside, but inside, things are not well. You can't fix what's in here with things out here, ladies and gentlemen. When, When the rubber hits the road, I can't... Fancy outfits, cars, etc. It's it's not going to make the mark. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Haggai really highlights the problem of the heart. And so, when we focus in on ourselves, we start to make a lot of excuses. You know, maybe I'm not going to come to church. You know, maybe I'm going to go here somewhere. You know, uh, there's a lot of excuses that end up happening when we start focusing on the paneled houses, the walls, everything else, but not what is really in here. You see, Jesus actually speaks to this. Jesus says, seek first, first, the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added onto you, right? We sometimes have our priorities wrong. We seek first the other things, And then the kingdom of God is like on the list. But if I don't get to it today, maybe it'll go on the list tomorrow. And if I don't get to it tomorrow, maybe it'll go on the list. And eventually I'm going to cross that one off. No, ladies and gentlemen. Seek first God's kingdom and everything else will be added on. And we will be good in here because this is where God lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Point number two. Restore your temple. Let's move on. Oh, boy. Point three. Restore the word and worship in your life. Restore it. Just like Ezra knew that word, and he was able to speak on it for three hours, four hours, six hours. He knew it inside backwards. He knew the references, the highlights, the hyperlinks, touch back to Jeremiah, pull it over here. He knew it. Just like that, we need to know God's word. Because again, when we're faced with a situation and times are rough, 
That word is what is going to feed us. That worship is what is going to get us through. That is what God wants. Again, touch back to Jeremiah. I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, 31 to, uh, 30, I'm sorry, verse 33. It says this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So after the days of Babylon, declares Lord, I will put in them my law within them. And I will literally write it. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, right? So I'm not going to stand up here and say, no God, no God, no God, no God. No, that's not what it says here. It says, for they shall know me themselves. You don't have to take my word from it up here. You will know God yourselves because he lives in you. And from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So God wants his word to literally be written inside our hearts and our minds, deep in the subcockles in there. You know, so, so when we need it, it's there, you know. And it's really amazing to me how our body and how our mind works. You know, I've been um, trying to relearn the piano. Yes, it's been a very, very long time since I have a piano in my house. It's been in my house for I don't know how many years, right? And so on, in January, I started to replay the piano. And it's amazing. I look at the, I look at the music, you know, I look at the notes. I'm like, I can't really read the music as well as I used to. But for some reason, when I get onto that piano, I can play Pocketbook Canon in D. I don't know how. It's been 20, 25 years that I have played the piano, but somehow I could play it. For a I could play it. You know, why? Why do you think? Because I practiced it. I practiced it. I don't know how many times I had to practice that little florist for the recital. Right? I practiced that thing, practiced that thing hours and hours and hours and hours. Right? That now 25 years later, I could sit there, haven't even touched the piano, and I could play it again. The same thing it's with, is with the word. And the same principle is with scripture. It, it's like your brain... Now I can get into the little neuroscience of this thing. It needs, it's like, it's like a road, you know, and the more you walk on the road, you just keep walking on the road, it builds the pathways in there and you remember things. You remember things. I'm going to, I'm going to try this a little bit risky up here. Um, it's going to age me a little bit. I'm going to catch my breath. So I'm going to try this, see how it goes. So I'm going to start something off. And if you know it, if you know it, just jump right on in. In West Philadelphia, born and raised in the playground, I spent most of my days. Come on, you know this. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. Now playing some people outside of school with a couple of guys. They were up to no good. Started making trouble in my 
I got in one little fight, am I? And what did she say? You're moving with your auntie and uncle in? All right, you've never, you haven't heard that song in how many years? How many years have you not heard that song? 20 years? Can you say, can, can, you, can you quote a lyric or two? Why? You probably heard that every night, whatever it was, 6 o'clock. Fresh Placibella, every day you heard that thing. And you can quote it. You could sing it again. I age myself just a little bit, right? A little bit risky. But you can bring it up. The same thing is with the word of God. The same thing is with those worship songs that we sing here every single Sunday. They will come out of you. And again, when you need them the most, that is where God's word is going to flourish. Point number three, restore the word and worship in your life. Last, but certainly not least, lesson four that we've learned from Ezra and Nehemiah is restore our city's walls. Restore the wall. Now, I know we don't live in Jerusalem and we live in Elizabeth and surrounding towns, but ladies and gentlemen, There are a lot of needs in our city. There are a lot of needs in this church. We've had a pandemic. We recently had a hurricane that came in, right, with with Ida and the flooding. So many people in need and even still struggling to this day in this church with the repercussions of that. We had a fire just last week with over 70 people that had to be displaced. There is so much need. And just like in Ezra and Nehemiah, there is a call to build the wall. There is a call, ladies and gentlemen, dare I say it, to work. To work, to return, and to work. If we can put the scripture from Haggai up here, in Haggai 2, Three to four, it says, this is the slide. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Insert your name there. Be strong. Put your name in there. Be strong for you people of the land, declares the Lord. And what does it say? What does it say? Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. My dad used to tell me that anything that is worth it requires work. Your marriages require work. School requires work, right? Your job requires work. Learning the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, requires work. But anything that's worth it requires that. It doesn't happen by itself. And our city, like I said, has so many needs. Our church has so many needs. And so many people come and s- fill these seats. And they say, God, fill me, right? We got, well, fill me like, like this is a gas station. Gas is very expensive these days. But they don't go anywhere. You get filled up with God's word. And then what? And ladies and gentlemen, I speak to myself when I say this. God spoke to Zerubbabel, and he told them to work. 
God spoke to Nehemiah, moved on him and said, build this wall. There's so much need. There's so much that are here. Ladies and gentlemen, we have so much need in this church right now. We need children's ministers. We need people to teach at kids' church. We need people to help at the bridge. We need people to help us ushers and be their best. Carol, I love you. You are, you are my shining star back there. We need people to help Riley with the building. There is so much need in the church. Ushers, greeters, food pantry, maintenance, worship, musical instruments, singers. There is so much need and so much that needs to be built. This city has seen such wear and tear. People are hurting. People need people to pray for them, to encourage them, to prophesy. There's so much need. My prayer today is that one, we will return. But two, that we would commit to build, to build here, not just the temple ourselves or the word, but to help build the church and the wall so that we can have next two ministries, right? Look at who's sitting next to you. Which families are sitting next to you? This family, next to this family, next to this family, next to this family, next to this family, next. Building God's kingdom. Because if we seek his kingdom, all things will come. So, before you came in, we gave you a red index card. And again, This is completely up to you. Nobody is forcing you. Uh, If God is speaking to you, then then please respond. But if you feel called to continue to do the work and build the wall here in this church and in this city, we want to connect you with a ministry, with a team, with a family that will build next to you. So if that's you... We just need your name and your phone number. We've got some tape here. You can come up, put your name on the wall. And we will connect with you. If that's you, you can just come on up as I'm talking and the music is playing. You see, ladies and gentlemen, my fear, and I will say that, is that one day I'll, you know, I'll be sitting, God knows where, Um, and reflecting on my life when it is at its end. And my fear is that I would have not done the work that God has called me to do. You see, we talked a little bit um, this morning about how Al was uh, promoted to glory. And Pastor Carlos and I visited him in the hospital room um, literally the day before he passed. And we sat at his bedside, and we spoke to him, and we said, thank you, Al. Thank you for building. We said, thank you for being in the lobby. Thank you for talking to people. Thank you for working with substance abuse. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because he worked. He worked. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, I was at a basketball game the other night, and I looked at the players on the court. And we had a lot of players, and they were running, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back. They were running, working. And then I looked 
at the crowd. There were thousands of people there watching those little guys running back and forth, back and forth. Those guys needed rest. There are so many of you that are working, 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 working. But then there are so many outside just watching. So, again, I'm going to ask you if this is you. And if you feel called to volunteer and whatever the need is, come use the tape, put, put it up here. We have some from the Spanish ministry. Just give everyone some time. And for those of you that are in our live stream that are watching, maybe you can email or direct message us with your name and your phone number and a statement. I want to build the wall in this city. I want to build the wall in this church. Because ladies and gentlemen, we want to seek God's kingdom. We want to work in God's kingdom and make a difference in God's kingdom. That is my prayer today for each and every one of you in these seats. So as everyone is coming in, I'm going to just ask everyone to bow your heads, and I'm just going to close in in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for each and every person that is in these seats, watching on live stream, that is hearing God's word today. God, if you are calling them to return home, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just burn in them. If they don't even know you, my Lord, I pray that they would come here and that we would be able to share that message of Jesus with them. God, I thank you for those that have come even recently to fill these seats. Even today, I thank you that they've heard you and that they are here and that they're in the right place. And God, I pray for those that are sitting in our seats that maybe need to rebuild and restore some things. Maybe they need to restore the temple, restore God's word and worship. God, we stand here worshiping you, God, with our hands stretched out, God, because we honor and obey, not because we need to receive, because we've given so much. And lastly, God, I pray for those just like the Amaya that have been called to work the wall and to fill the holes, to fill the bricks in our city and in this church. You know all of the bricks that are needed to be filled in. And God, I just thank you so much for those people. We thank you so much for the servants of the Lord that come, maybe sometimes in battle and sometimes in work, to do the work of the Lord. We thank you, my God, that you love us. We thank you, my God, that we are the apple of your eye. And we thank you, my God, that the word of this year is anchored so that we can be anchored in the things of you. 
And with that, we pray in Jesus' name. Be well. Do God's work. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.